Well, last week, we began a conversation and a collection of messages entitled Perspective. Uh, it's kind of like a fun, large group book study, if you will, where we're looking at different books that have been written and uh, books that I've read throughout this year that have kind of meant something to me. And I'm kind of taking a couple of the thoughts from them, going back to the scriptures and kind of really exploring. And today uh, we're going to be looking at something on the subject of the Daniel Dilemma. In fact, that's the title of the message. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Daniel Dilemma. The Daniel Dilemma. It's a book by a pastor by the name of Chris Hodges. He leads one of the largest churches in America out of Alabama, the, High, the Church of the Highlands there in Alabama, the multiplication over 20-something thousand members, and he's an excellent communicator, and I love this book that he wrote, The Daniel Dilemma, because it's helping us as believers to understand how and what we need to do in our lives to stay standing strong in our faith when the world around us is changing away from God. How can we still stand strong for our God? And it's a great, great read. I encourage you, if you haven't uh, read that book or have never heard of it, to pick it up and read it. And uh, some of the things that I'll be sharing today are coming from that book, uh, kind of repackaging and reworking them for what I think God wants to say to us in our context today. Well, if you have a copy of Scripture, I would uh, really enjoy it if you would join me in Daniel chapter 3. I want to look at one of uh, those of you that are kind of familiar with Scripture. This won't be a new story to you as we look at Daniel chapter 3 and the story of three Hebrew boys who chose not to ever bow down. And for those of you that are new to Scripture and kind of unfamiliar with some things, we're going to walk it through and I'm going to tell you the whole story and we're going to jump in and we're going to extract some truths together uh, that God wants to speak to us as we look at some of the dilemmas that we ourselves face today. Daniel chapter 3, are you there? Daniel chapter 3, I'm going to read out of the NIV version. If you have a different one, that's okay. Great, great versions are out there. Uh, it might sound a little different, but you should be able to still track right along. Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1, this is what it says. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. He made an image of gold. I, I think it's interesting that, uh, that for many of us, we like to call ourselves self-made people. Right? Have you ever heard anybody say, I'm a self-made man? Are you really? That's interesting. But King Nebuchadnezzar made himself something really important, he thought. Uh, he made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. This thing was, last I checked, was something like 90 feet tall. This thing was a massive structure, if I, if I remember correctly. He then summoned the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, perfects, governors, and advisors, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everybody say set up. Ever been set up in your life? Yeah. He says, hey, I want you to all come to this dedication. It's like a red carpet event happening right here in Babylon. It's the who's who. This is all the important people. He didn't summon all of the people in the land of Babylon. He only summoned the people who have a special place in the land of Babylon. All the people who rule, all the who's who. These are all the the junior vice presidents, the vice presidents, the presidents, the CEOs, the CFOs, the COOs, and all the other people that are so important in any one organization. It's the who's who. It's a red carpet event. And, And three of the people that are invited are three guys 
that we're going to meet here in just a minute named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why don't you say those three times, would you? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. One more time. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. One more time. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. See, y'all are already speaking in tongues. Congratulations to you all. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all invited because they had a prominent place in the land of Babylon. They were some of the who's who, the important celebrities of their day. And they were showing up to this party for this natural unveiling of this huge idol. Then, verse 4, the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, that is, what you are command, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, rap music, country music, uh, folk music, uh, uh, angry music, anytime you hear music play, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately, check this out, immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This, pi- this, this party just got lit. Bad preacher joke. They only get worse from here, friends. Verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the harp, the lyre, and all kinds of music, all the nations and all the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to the King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Hey, astrologers, you got a little something on your nose. Got a little something, right? Right there, a little, little, little brown on your nose, oh astrologers. May the king live forever, they said. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, they must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing fire. But there are some Jews, everybody say snitches. Y'all know what happened to snitches, just saying. Some of you are mumbling the phrase. Y'all, y'all would be ashamed of yourselves. You know what happens to snitches. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. There's some people here that you've put in charge of some stuff, O king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. I find it interesting that the Lord gives us, and Scripture gives us a little detail. See, there were governors and prefects and all sorts of important people that showed up to this party. But it was the astrologers who decided to tattletale. It was the astrologers who took offense at these three Hebrew people who were unwilling to bow. Let me get all Bible nerd for you for just a minute. Astrologers were the ones who would look up at the stars and predict the future and tell the king what would be to come. And they were some of the wisest of the wise counselors in the ear of the king because they could read things that other people couldn't read. They could see beyond what was actually seen. And what you need to understand is that the, that, that the Jews that of the day, that, that the people of God, they were known for something. They were known for their prophets. They're prophets who could hear from God, interpret dreams, and declare the future, and navigate people in a direction to bring wisdom and guidance to the king. 
But now you've got these guys, these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their good friend, Belshazzar. Also, you would know him as Daniel, who were really good at hearing from God and telling the king. And everything that they were managing and doing was bringing great success to the king. And the astrologers got offended. They got threatened. Anybody ever get threatened by your abilities? You ever start moving up in your company only to have somebody start gossiping about you? Saying some things that don't belong? Don't, don't act like it don't happen to you. I know, it's all right. That's what's going on right here. And so they go snitch on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and tell the king because they would want nothing more than for evil and ill will to come to these three Hebrews because they hated the God that they served. Verse 13 goes on. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you or worship my image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately. You will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. They got a little mouthy. Because when you're facing some temptations in your life, you need to get a little mouthy too. But not, not like giving people lip because you're sarcastic and you're a smart aleck. You got to start giving people lip because you know a truth that they haven't yet discovered. Don't make me start preaching. I'm just in my introduction. Listen to what they said. They replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, check it. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. They had a perspective that said, God is enough. God is our defense. They didn't need to protest. They didn't need to throw more memes on Facebook. They didn't need to, to gather people around and circle up. They just said, no, 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 listen, my God is enough. God's, God's big enough to handle what I'm getting into. If I am going to go down for standing for something, I'm going to stand for the right something. Rather than abandoning my stance and bowing to your thing. Listen. If you are living righteously for God and you are pursuing the rightness of God with a right heart before God, God will always come to your defense. He will always come to your rescue. You, I've seen it again and again in my own life and many of you have seen it in your life. God is enough and he will defend. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Because they had wholeheartedly surrendered to one God. Not many gods. We'll come back to it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, come on, this is where they take it to a whole nother level. But even if he doesn't, we want you to be very aware of something, O king. Your majesty 
we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Kill us or don't kill us. We ain't bowing. The Nebuchadnezzar was furious. In an age of outrage, people get furious really quick, don't they? The Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because I guess these little boys were going to fight or something. I, I don't know. But they tied them all up, threw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, this is important, they were wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were all bound together and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king commanded. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire, check this out, killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were firmly tied. They fell into the furnace themselves. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors around him, um, weren't there three men that we threw into this furnace? I mean, didn't we take three men fully bound, fully clothed, tie them up and drop them into the fire? Weren't there three men? They replied, certainly your majesty. No, king, you're not seeing things. Please, king, don't kill us too. Certainly, they're all there. Then he replied, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, for the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Bible scholars tell us that this is Jesus pre-incarnate showing up on the scene. Jesus jumped into the fire. Jesus ain't afraid to be lit, y'all. He ain't afraid. He's going to get right in the mix of whatever it is you find yourself, whatever trouble, whatever trial, whatever tribulation. If you are standing for righteousness, Jesus stands with you. Then the king replied, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Check out what he says. Servants of the most high God. Talk about flipping the script. Oh, Shadrach. Your God, who I said couldn't save you. I was wrong, Shadrach. Hey, guys, your God, he's mighty. Hey, guys, come on. Can I go to church with you? Hey, guys, can, can, I, can, I, can you tell me how you stay happy all the time, even in the midst of getting threatened of your job losing? Hey, 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 hey Shadrach, Meshach, and I, can, you, can, you tell me, can you tell me why it is that God answers your prayer? Hey, can you tell me why your marriage is so good? Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can you tell Because sometimes when you're living God's way, God honoring, God first life, other people start wanting to know how it is that you do what you do. Because they're tired of being broke. They're tired of their marriage falling apart. They're tired of their kids going crazy. They're tired of feeling stressed all the time and having zero joy. People want to know, but the question is, are you living it in a way that people can see it? Or have you bowed down and diluted your own just to fit in and appease because you were invited to a real important party and everybody around you is pressuring you Nebuchadnezzar approached. Why don't you come on out, he says. Come here, Shadrach. In other words, I ain't going in to get you, but why don't you go ahead and come on out. Come on out. So he came on out. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, perfects, governors, and all the royal advisors crowded around them. Facebook Live started happening. People were tweeting everything like, I can't believe you got to see what's going on right here. Like everybody starts chiming in on what's happened. They crowd around, they crowd around, and they saw, check this out, that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their ropes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Y'all can't even walk through Walmart without coming out smelling like smoke. And you've been avoiding people for years in that place. Duck and dodge down certain aisles. So you ain't got to say hi to nobody. You still walk out and be like, what's that? Oh man. Nothing, nothing. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They must trust in him and defy the king's command. And they were unwilling to give up their, uh, they were willing rather to give their lives and serve and worship a God. And they weren't willing to do that for any other God except them. I want to talk to you for a few minutes as we have left about the Daniel dilemma. And I want to give us a few warnings that I believe we can extract from this story too, in fact, that will help us in our pursuit of Jesus, despite the climate and the circumstance that we might find ourselves in. Uh, have you ever uh, read warning labels on things? Like almost everything comes with a warning label now. Especially like small things that children can put in their mouth. Like everybody's covering their, their heinies and be like, don't let children do this. This is a choking hazard. This is, like everything is now a choking hazard. Have you ever read the uh, warning label on your mattress? Like don't take it off or you will die. <laughs> I remember uh, a, a warning label on a chainsaw that read, please don't put hand on moving blade. <laughs> Boy. We got some smart ones. There was one warning sign I saw online that said, uh, don't touch wires or you will die. Plus a fine of $200. <laughs> um, problem. I think we're so used to everything having a warning sign and a warning label. It's kind of easy sometimes to gloss over them and pass them by. And I think if we're not careful as believers, we can read some things in Scripture and we can easily begin to dismiss the warning signs that sometimes the Spirit of God is trying to get our attention with. Because there's some dangers in our lives that if we're not careful, we will find ourselves bowing to the wrong things and be on the wrong side. Be on the wrong side and God doesn't want us on the wrong side. I want to explain a few dangerous toxins that often can go unnoticed in our society and kind of sound a little bit of an alarm today. Not to bring fear, no, 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 no. But to help us open our eyes to wipe the sleep away from the slumber that many of us have found ourselves in, getting comfortable in our daily routines and our lives. I think we need to wipe the sleep out of our eyes a little bit this morning and have a little bit of a sober conversation. I hope you brought your big boy and big girl boots today because I'm going to say some things that are going to be very pointed and clear, but, in, but they come from a deep place of love for all of us because if we're not careful, 
we'll find ourselves on the wrong side of some things. Some of us have been bowing down and we've lost sight of who we are. Here's the first dilemma, first dangerous dilemma that we can pick out from the scripture. And that's this. The first dangerous dilemma is that the enemy, he wants to strip away your identity. He wants to strip away your identity. It's what he's up to today. In in our culture, in our community, he wants to strip away your identity. Because if you can lose sight of who you are, or he can get you trying to focus inward on just yourself, you're not looking in the right place. And this is what happened to these three Hebrew boys, plus their friend Belshazzar, also known as Daniel. See, Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians. They were their slaves. And the king of Babylon decided to take some of the smartest and the best and the brightest and bring him into his court and let them be trained up in his ways to go work for them. You can find the beginning of the story in Daniel chapter one. Fascinating read. And one of the very first things that they did was change their names. Their name that in Hebrew culture and Jewish culture literally was wrapped in their God identity. See, names weren't just some flippant thing where they found on the chart what the coolest names are today and named it after that person. No, in Hebrew times and in the Bible times, they named somebody based on a prophetic destiny that they wanted to declare on that child's life. So every time they said that baby's name, they were actually speaking destiny into their lives. Parents, that's why it's a really big deal what you name your kids. Don't get legalistic about it, but I think it's important that we take some time, pray and ask God, God, who is this child that you've created? What is their destiny? And let me align with that destiny and declare a something over them and name them something that matters. Give them a sense of prophetic destiny. And the first thing that the king did was rename them because embedded in each of their original names, Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah were the very sounds and name of God himself. Two main words that were used all the time to describe or were God's names. El, E-L, and Yahweh. That made that ah sound. Y-W-H. These were embedded into Daniel's name. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. That ah and L sound. Those were the Greek letters that were, or the Hebrew letters that were God's name. Daniel's name meant, God is my judge. And the king renamed him, stripped his identity and said, no, no, your name is not God is my judge. Your name is now Belshazzar, which means lady, protect the king. Took it from a focus on God to now a focus on humanity. Took it from an all-powerful God to a lady protector. Took it from a strong male name to a female name, stripping his identity, trying to give him an identity crisis to where what he thought he was, oh no, that's not really who you were created to be. I find it interesting that the same thing is still happening in our culture today. People are wrestling with their identity. That's not by mistake. No, that's the enemy of our souls trying to strip away our identity and the fingerprints of God in our lives and trying to confuse even the genders and the lives of so many. And that's what the king tried to do with Daniel. It was not a small thing. It was an insult to them 
and to their God and to their faith. So now every time somebody called their name, right? Like it was literally name calling now, reminding them, jab, poke, thing, how ignorant and stupid and silly and how no longer, and they weren't in their hometown anymore. It was constant berating every time somebody said their new names. Anybody ever walk through a season like that? People constantly berating, calling you names, assuming things about you, negativity surrounding you, beating you down verbally, berating you again and again and again. It strips away your identity. And if we're not aware of it, that tactic, it will continue to happen in our lives. Hananiah, his name meant Yahweh has been gracious. God has been gracious. Changed his name to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. Where God was, every time somebody said his name, it was declaring how gracious and amazing God is. Now every time somebody calls his name, they're reminded how afraid they should be and how fearful and how angry God is. And Mishael, his name originally meant, who can compare to my God? No one Changed his name to Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. The focus again shifts from God to a focus on himself. It shifts from having confidence in God, the creator, to being afraid and a coward in life. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, which was a god of the Babylonians completely stripping their identity every time. And it started with their name, moving him from something that meant son of God to meaning slave of man. Rewiring and reprogramming at every turn in their life, stripping their identity. Friends, the enemy's tactic has not changed. He is still wanting to strip your identity away from anything that would hint at God and make it turn inward to yourself. Can I tell you what I think one of the biggest dangers in all of Christendom is today? I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm talking about for church folk. Here it is. Narcissism. Narcissism. Where everything is about self-satisfying, self-identifying, self-comforting, self-satisfying, self-defining, I need to just find myself. Even in the Christian world, we live and have crept into trying to find out who we are in our own right. And God Almighty is the one standing saying, I created you in your mother's womb. Why don't you come to me and let me speak some life over you? Let me tell you who you were created to be. Let me tell you who I made you. Let me tell you how amazing and beautiful and wonderful and and how I'm willing to pay the highest price of all for you. But yet we try and self-identify and do things for ourselves. When I was in uh, elementary and high school, I decided that I no longer wanted to be called Matthew, but I wanted everybody to call me Matt. Because I thought that it was like short and cool and it made me feel like I was friends with everybody who said my name. You know, because that's kind of how it is. You don't call somebody their formal name. You call them kind of like a slight nickname because it makes you feel, because I was really insecure and I wanted everybody to like me. 
which led to a big crisis in my life to where I started living in such a way that I had to try and gain everybody's approval. And it all started with a name change. And it was in Bible college that God started to speak some things to my heart and say, hey, listen, you've been really rebellious and you've been trying to run away from the identity of your family. You've been trying to run away from uh, your, your parents' wisdom. And I was just being really stupid and selfish and self-indulgent as a teenager. And God was correcting me and it was about a repentant thing. And God said, no longer called Matt, called Matthew. And he reclaimed my name. Why? Because names are important. Names speak of our identity. Your name is important. God looks at you as a believer and says, that's a child of God. That's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. I created that. I'm proud of that one. Man, I love how they laugh. I love how they think. I love their creativity. I love their hard work. I love their dedication. I love their wit. I love their intellect. I love them. They are, that's my girl. That's my boy. But the enemy is trying to strip that identity away in our lives. So, so what do we do? I think we need to make a decision. And the decision is this, that we've got to let go of our cultural identity and align with our God-given identity. We have to let go of our cultural identity and align with our God-given identity. The closer you get to God, the more true version of yourself you become. Why? Because a creation cannot know its intended purpose aside from its creator speaking into it. Enter Pinocchio. I'm a real boy. I'm a real, right? Like you got to know from the toy maker who you really are. Some of y'all thought I was about to really break down and dance. Y'all lost it. Nuh-uh. Y'all got to start tithing 20% if you're going to see that. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. 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 You will not know your created intent apart from getting to know your creator. You didn't create yourself. You're not a self-made anything. And so until you get to know your creator, you will always be lacking in some identity. We have to let go of our culture identity and reclaim our God identity. How do we do that? How do we grow in getting to know our God? I'm going to use one word. Prayer. Prayer. Somebody's like, oh yeah, I pray. I talk to God about all the things that I need. I tell him what's up. I, I bring my requests. I've got prayer requests. I've got Spoken requests, and I've got unspoken requests. And I pray all the time and get everybody else to pray about it. And I post it on Facebook and really uh, kind of sub-hidden ways so everybody feels sorry and starts praying anyways. And I do all those things because, I, I, yeah, prayer, Pastor, I got it. No, 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 listen. Prayer is not telling God of our realities. Prayer is realigning our heart to his personality. Oh, that was good. I hope somebody wrote it down. Prayer is not getting God to do our laundry list. It's about aligning our heart to his priorities, to his character, to his heart. When, when the disciples wanted to know how to pray, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That forgive us this day our daily bread is the only time in that whole entire model prayer that has to do with your needs. 
Every other part was about glorifying God, honoring God, who God is, and asking God to change and to do and to interact. And it's repentant. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Prayer is more repentance and praise than it is your petitions. Prayer gets our hearts back in line with God. It is not about getting God to do our bidding. It's about getting our hearts to be aligned with God's heart. Prayer is simple. It's talking. And I know you all know how to talk. That's all prayer is. Prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. I once heard the question asked, if God were to answer all of the prayers that you prayed this week, would the world be any different or would you just have a better house? more obedient children, and more money in your bank. What are your prayers? I've been spending a lot of time on a personal level, just broken and open and repenting before God. Because it's in that place of brokenness and repentance personally that God is realigning my heart to his heart. There are things that I ask him for, absolutely people that I pray for, many of you, on a consistent basis. But prayer isn't really about getting God to do what I want. It's about me aligning with who God is. And when we do that on a consistent basis, it begins to shape our identity in those things. Here's the second dangerous dilemma. They're trying to steal our worship. Culture, the enemy, The enemy of your soul wants to steal your worship. Now, this is a pretty obvious one in the scripture, right? I mean, when we read in Daniel 3, the whole idea was to bow down and worship, bow down and worship, bow down and worship. And the same is true today. That the culture, the world surrounding us, the enemy is presenting and parading things that he wants us to bow down and worship. He's trying to steal our worship. There are three big gods in Bible times that are mentioned all throughout Scripture. The first one is Baal, different versions of Baal, but Baal basically is the god that was all about power and pride, power and pride, power and pride, power and pride. Now, I know we don't have any power struggles here in America. I know, I know it's not really about blue waves and red tsunamis. I know that that's not really for us where we deal with the struggle who has the most power. But power and pride are trying to steal your worship, friends. They're trying to steal your attention, your affection, and your alignment. Power and pride, power and pride, power and pride. Here's, here's the second God that was constantly present throughout Scripture. It's what's called an Asherah. All through the Bible, you read about the Asherah poles, the Asherah poles, the Asherah poles. That's the God of pleasure. God of pleasure. I know we're not out for our own pleasure in this world. That's not us. That's other people deal with that. But the God of pleasure is present today trying to get our attention, our affection, and our alignment. I I know you probably don't think that we have false gods, that we don't have any idols in our lives, but let me tell you about the third God that was present in Scripture, and that's the God of mammon. Mammon is the God of riches, but it's better understood as the God of never enough. See, because whether you have a lot of money or you have very little money, one thing is sure, you are convinced that you need more. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, 
likely we are spending our lives convinced that we need more. And so we bow and align our lives and prioritize our schedules around getting more. But we don't call it that. We call it hard work. We call it diligence. We call it lots of things and we justify it in a lot of ways. But the reality is power and pride, God of pleasure and riches that never are enough are things that we often bow and surrender and have our worship given to. Let me tell you how we justify them and how they show up in our, in our culture because they're not always obvious to us. But let me, let me help us see that we really do have idols that we worship today. And this has been something that I've been on a journey on for several, for several, several weeks and months now where the Lord is consistently pointing out where there are idols that try and pop up in my life and I've covered them, I've cloaked them, I've decided that they were religious and good examples or endeavors, but they're really not. Things like convenience. We bow to the idol of convenience all the time. If it's not convenient, we don't do it. If it's going to require something of us, we're like, eh, I don't really know. It's not really convenient for me to be at Connect Group this week. Hmm. Go ahead and skip it. It's not really convenient for me to spend time in the Word this week. I'm just going to, I'll catch it later. And we start living our lives bowing to these things of convenience. We have a bow. We bow to things like comfort, our hobbies and our preferences, I see, see, the reason why I'm taking some time to expound on these is because we think idols are all evil, like demonic things. And they are, but they don't appear that way. Most of our idols today are good things that are in the wrong place in our life. They are good things that we've decided to bow down to and place in a priority and a prominent spot in our heart, and they don't belong there. And they don't belong there. So we have things like our hobbies and our preferences. And then we have things like consumerism. And we, we say things like, I'm just church shopping. I'm not even talking about secularism. I'm just talking about in the church, the idols that we have. One thing is for sure here at Faith Church, We've made a commitment that we're going to be committed contributors more than we are casual consumers, which means if you're looking for a spot to sit and consume and just about you, you're probably going to get unhappy here. And this isn't going to be the spot for you because we are committed to contribute, not sit back and just consume and allow it to be about us. Well, I don't really like that, that worship song. So I'm not going to really worship today. Oh, that's, that's not my favorite sermon series. I'm going to, I'm going to sleep in today. The chiefs are on at what time? Yeah. And we look at God and we look at our pursuit of God and we look at our lives of God and our lives of faith and they're just about our consumption. And we wonder why we don't have strength in our lives. We wonder why our faith falters. We wonder why we struggle and we, we ebb and we flow and we're tired of the roller coaster ride. It's because we haven't abandoned our bow. We're just bowing down to something else that's most important this week and most important this week and most important this week. And let me tell you the one that has been the most challenging and and the most gut-wrenching for me. I spent 
a good amount of time praying and crying, truth be told, this week. Because this last one, it cut me deep. And here's the idol. You're going to be shocked by it. Here's the idol that so many Christians are bowing to. Our children. How many times have you heard my kids or my grandkids are the most important thing in my life? Which is funny. I mean, I know, I know, I get it. I'm a dad. I've been doing kids ministry for over 20 years. Loving on kids, pointing them to Jesus and helping parents do the same thing. I've given my life to the next generation. I love kids. I love young people. I love teenagers. But hear me, friends. I'm pretty sure scripture says, you shall have no other gods before me. And if it is more important than our God, then we are bowing to the wrong thing. Do we need to love our kids? Absolutely. Do we need to become better parents? Absolutely. But what we end up doing is we try and point our kids and our grandkids to our love. But we're not called to point them to our love. We're called to point them to the love of a father. Who, who created them and knit them together and shaped their destiny. And we're called as parents to partner with faith, to partner with God and say, God, these are our children that you've blessed us with. We're giving them back to you. As a church, we want to make it real easy for you to help your kids be pointed back to God. We're trying to create irresistible environments for your kids to be a part of where they drag you to church. That's right. I hope your kids drag you to church every week because they need to be in the house of God. Every week when your kids leave in our early childhood rooms, they get this little take home. That's not just a cool little color sheet. There are some things in here, a reading plan in the kids' Bible app that you can sit down with your kids, take five minutes if you have a child under the age of five. Color this with them. Go over it with them. We're giving you all. You don't have to know what to say. Just got to hold on to the paper. We're giving it to you. Why? Why, why, why? Because we want to make it really easy for you to point your kids to Jesus. But I'm not sure I'm pointing in the right way. I know. That's all right. We want to help you point that way too. In our elementary age, we have these little take-homes that look like this. There's a Bible reading plan just for your kids. There's activities and questions and scripture verses, a scripture verse for them to memorize for the month. This month, our, our elementary kids are learning about worship, bowing to the right things, worshiping our God. Parents, we're giving you what to do. We're giving you the resources. Why? Because we want to help you point your kids that you love deeply back to the creator who loves them more dearly. We've got to abandon our bow. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it like this. A person will worship something, have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret, in the dark recesses of our heart, but it will come out. That's that 
which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. You will become what or whom you worship. How do we do that? You make a decision to worship God. Have no other gods before him. Abandon your bow to the other things in your life and take a knee in worship. Abandon your bow to consumerism and take a knee in worship. Abandon your bow to trying to do it your own way and your own strength and take a knee and worship the God who created you, who gives you strength. The Bible says this, when we worship God in his presence, there is fullness of joy and that it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Some of you walk out of here on Sunday feeling so strong in your faith, so ready, so good, and you've got joy in your life, but Tuesday's coming and you don't have it anymore. Why? Because the only time you are in God's presence is in this 30-minute time slot. But if you will get on your knees and worship on your own, get your own soundtrack of worship, and you start worshiping God in your own time and your drive to and from work as you're driving around town and God, please, before you walk into Walmart, spend some time worshiping. And as you worship him, you will become more like him. You will become more like him. You'll become more like him. Why? Because our worship is our adoration. It's our affection. It's always a sacrifice of praise. Rarely do I feel like praising God. I woke up this morning not feeling like coming to church. I really did. But I made a sacrifice of praise for a little while. It took a little while for the coffee to get percolated, so I had, to wor- I had some time to worship myself. Happy. Do you need strength to live your life? You know where your strength's going to come from? It's going to come from joy. Joy. You want to know where your joy is going to come from? being in God's presence and worship. It's not going to come any other way. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for us today. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. We've taken a couple minutes today to really expound on some of these things. And I hope there's some things that have kind of been weighty in your heart today. I really do. Because it needs to sober like cold wind first thing in the morning. It needs to wake us up a little bit. Because the enemy has been stripping you of your identity for too long. And for some of you, he's been stealing your worship. And they're good things. They're not evil things. But you've been worshiping them. You've been bowing down, giving it your adoration and your attention. More than what it needs to be. And today is a day that you need to flip that script and say, God, it's you and you alone. I'm going to find my identity in you and I'm going to find my worship given to you and you alone. If you're here and you say, Pastor, today there's been some things that God has alerted me to and I'm going to make some change. I'm going to spend some time in prayer and I'm going to spend some time worshiping this week. If you're a believer and that's your commitment today, would you just real quick hand up in the air so I can I can pray for us. Father, I pray for every hand of commitment today that's saying, God, we want to pursue you. God, we want all that you have for us. God, we want you and only you. Lord, I pray that you would indeed, uh, that you would indeed 
meet us this week. Reveal to us where the enemy has stripped our identity. Speak life and love and commitment and joy and purpose over our lives. And Lord, I pray that our worship would be for you and you alone. We wouldn't bow down to anything, but we would take a knee in worship and surrender to you. We would glorify you above all else. I thank you for it. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. You can put your hands down with your heads bowed and your eyes still closed. Maybe you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've been worshiping all sorts of things and your identity has been found in all sorts of other places. But today you want to surrender your life to Jesus. If you're here and say, I want to say yes to Jesus, would you just put your hand up in the air so we can pray together? Thank you for that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Hands are going up. Go ahead. If you say yes, I'm, I just need to say yes to Jesus. Yes. Thank you so much for those hands. Church family, can we all pray this together? Say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I believe that you are God and I am not. I give you my life. I surrender it to you. Take my heart, make it new again. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I believe in you. You are God's son. Live in me and make me new. In Jesus' name.